In preparation for the lesson this morning, the reading will be taken from the book of Mark. We'll be reading from the fourth chapter, verses 35 through 41. Mark 4, verses 35 through 41. This passage tells us about the time that Jesus calmed the storm. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Be quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. You know, as you think about all of the things that happen and all of the accounts, a miracle like the stilling of the storm is very powerful, very thought-provoking. I can think of all the ways that people might try to explain it away, but the reality is that as you look at this story, It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You know, it's always interesting, you know, we refer to these three Gospels as the synoptics. That means that they're seen together. And there are are many things that they all tell, uh, which gives a special emphasis to them. For example, there's a lot about the death and crucifixion of Jesus and resurrection. You know, you, you just see that that is an important part of the message of the early church. So to think about this story, about Jesus stilling the storm, it's not a long story, is it? And yet, it tells about Jesus uh, and the disciples there uh, around uh, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Just a, a note here, you may find different terms used here. Uh, the Sea of Gennesaret, Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee. It was, you know, known by different names at different times. But for uh, the apostles, this is where Peter, Andrew, James, and John, possibly some others, uh, had lived and worked as fishermen. It was a lake that they knew and had obviously probably had many experiences on. And so Jesus has said, let's go to the other side. So they load up and notice that Mark mentions that there's more than one ship there conveying Jesus and those with him across the lake. Uh, One of the accounts mentions that it's evening. So probably guess that it's after dark. 
And Jesus has fallen asleep uh, in the stern of the boat. I mean, I, you, you can just kind of imagine that if... I, I, I think one of the things that's interesting to me, and I had not really thought about this, but just as I was thinking about this, you know, these reading through the different accounts, we don't find very many references to Jesus sleeping. We find references to Jesus not sleeping, you know, being up all night type thing. But he's sleeping. And you can just imagine you get into a boat. You ever have that experience? You get into the boat, and there's just that gentle rocking, and you doze off. And the accounts point out that a furious squall suddenly came on them. When I read this, I think of a situation many years ago where we rented a cottage over, I think, up around Nopaming. And it came with a, a fishing boat, if you want to call it that. It probably had about a one-horsepower motor, motor on it. <laughs> it was going to go nowhere very fast. But I, I took two or three of the kids, and we went across this lake, and we went up a, a finger of lake that went up further up. And as we're going up this thing, kind of putt, 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 going, and um, I could see some dark clouds in the distance. And I thought, those are coming our way. I better turn that thing around and try to get back to the, to the cottage. And so I'm giving the thing full throttle. And the storm's moving faster than we are. And suddenly I realize that I've just made it down to the lake. Oh, isn't that fun? Uh, okay, Scott, you want to just pop it back to the... This commercial was bought, brought to you by BoxNet, right? Uh, and as we're, as we're going, I realized that this is a severe thunderstorm. There's lightning, and there's no way that I'm going to be able to make it across this lake. And the wind comes up, and the waves come, and the rain starts pelting down, and I'm in in this boat with, with the kids. And I'm starting to feel really, really panicky, because you do not want to be in a boat, in an aluminum boat, on the water, in a thunderstorm with your kids. I mean, you don't want to be there by yourself, but you've got some of your kids there. And I'm looking for a place, and we finally found a place along the shore that I could pull in, and we huddled under some rocks, kind of a rock, that, you know. But it's scary. When you're on the water and a storm comes up, and the degree of, of difficulty that this storm faces, you know, you notice that word, furious squall that's used, but it is such that the waves are washing over the sides of the boat and are threatening it with swamping. If you don't understand what that means, it means swamping means you've got so much water in the boat, it's no longer going to float. And so it's in danger. And the apostles are in fear and panic at this situation, which is amazing to me because at least four of them, maybe more, are fishermen. They have 
lived on this lake. They know the weather and the storms. But it seems like they're all in a panic. So as the situation develops, and as they become increasingly panic-ridden, they awaken Jesus. I love it. Jesus is asleep in the boat. The waves washing up over it, it's starting to swamp. And Jesus is sleeping. They wake him up. All right. And the question that I think legitimately could be asked is why? Why would they wake up Jesus? What were they expecting him to do? Matthew said, I think it's Matthew that says that they said to him, Lord, save us. Okay. What are they expecting him to be able to do? They have not really come to recognize who Jesus is. And I think the rest of the story will kind of continue to help us to see that what's happening is they are in a panic. And it's kind of like, how can you sleep? How can you sleep when we are afraid and are about about to die? And that statement, don't you care if we drown? This sounds like a lot of the conflict-related stuff that you come across when somebody gets upset, somebody gets anxious, and they kind of level a a statement that can be actually quite an accusation. You know, how can you not care about what I'm feeling? Well, that's where the apostles are coming from. They're experiencing a, a hopelessness from their fear. They're in a situation um, that... They don't know or can't see any solution for it. And the only way that they think they're going to get out of that is for the boat to sing and for them to die. In uh, Luke, they say, we're going to drown. Not we might drown. We're going to drown. Because they know if the boat goes down, they're going with it. So Jesus, now awakened out of his sleep, kind of recognizes that they are questioning and doubting him. They don't have a concept that Jesus can do anything about the storm. But somehow, you know... It's kind of like the situation that that happens in many organizations, that when there's a problem and people run around, oh, somebody should do something. Well, Jesus, you're sleeping. Get up. Do something. Well, I think it would have been really interesting if Jesus had said, well, what do you want me to do? Because they would not have said, still the storm. That's not in their perception. 
They have been with him, following him. They have seen miracles, healings. But the power of nature, I mean, don't we really recognize that? I mean, we live, we live in a place, fortunately, that we get thunderstorms. We might get a tornado, it seems like out in the country. We get heavy snow, we get ice, we get floods. But generally, we live in a pretty safe place. We don't get the earthquakes and the landslides and the, and the big things that, that move powerfully. So for the apostles in the boat, this is desperation on their part. And I think the problem is that they have an underlying trust or lack of trust in God. They are, in some ways, religious. They're, they're Jewish. They have been following the traditions of their ancestors. But you know, it's possible for people to be in a religion... But for that to not really connect with their lives and their thinking. As Jews, they would be familiar with the 23rd Psalm. Remember the line in the 23rd Psalm? I fear no evil. They fear, you know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. You're with me. For there's a lot of mileage between expressing a religious idea or sentiment, saying the right words, and actually feeling it in your heart. I mean, don't we sometimes get that way that we, you know, and, and even say that to other people that, that when something happens and we, we kind of give them a platitude. A platitude is where we say the words. But somehow the words that sound right seem empty. David could say in the shepherd's psalm, you know, express that total trust. The Lord is my shepherd. I can live without fear. And yet, generations later, centuries later, those who follow that same Lord, that same God, may not be connecting with the same confidence and trust that David experienced. And so the circumstances around them caused fear. And I've got to admit that there have been events in, our, in my life, our lives, that, that, that are like that. We recognize that we could be in very serious jeopardy. And yet, where do we turn? What do we think? How do we see God? Or do we even see God? in that circumstance or that situation. 
So now awakened, and I love the older translations. You know, the NIV says, quiet, be still. I like the old peace, be still. And you might, just for a moment, try to imagine how Jesus said that. Did He yell it as a command? Did He say it gently? Did He what? But whatever it was, the storm stopped. The turbulent power that terrified experienced sailors, if you call it fishermen, Ended. From a human standpoint, I think sometimes we might look at that and think, well, okay, it was just coincidence. (laughs) But the way the storm ended was such that the apostles associated the ending of the storm with the words of Jesus. And so to them, the storm was stopped by Jesus with words. Try to imagine, you know, and I, I think it's really important sometimes for us to read these stories and try to imagine that, that we are among those people in the boat. We are terrified for our lives. We think things are about to end. And Jesus simply says, quiet, peace, be still. Almost, didn't it almost sound like a parent to a child? That use of authority and voice. And, and so Jesus is demonstrating who he is and what kind of power he has. Bang. I think sometimes our encounters with the supernatural because we don't really do that we read about it but we don't encounter this type of thing you're you're with Jesus and you're seeing who he is with his identity and his power it's overwhelming and what's interesting is that it says that the apostles were amazed and terrified okay now think about this They have been overwhelmed and terrified and afraid of the storm. Because they're seeing all of that power, all of that turbulence, and feeling the the helplessness. And suddenly they're confronting Jesus, who can overwhelm all of the storm simply with his voice. And as I was working on this, a thought kept coming to mind. At this point, are they more afraid of Jesus than they are of the storm? I think I would be. Who is this man? Because see, they're still, he's still a man to them. He's still human. Who is this that the winds and the waves obey him? 
That is beyond anything we can conceive, isn't it? What we see through the ministry of Jesus is that that the apostles were, as they experienced him and went with him, uh, were involved in a kind of a continuous cycle. That they were often afraid, weren't they? There are many situations and circumstances, and even as it came down to the end of his life, when he's arrested, what do they do? They run away. The night of the resurrection, where are they? They are in a room behind a locked door for fear of the Jews. It seems like their life is continually being threatened with being swamped by the circumstances around. Can we understand that? Do you feel sometimes like things are just overwhelming you? More than you can take? Not really sure what we're going to do next, where we're going to turn, how we're going to find help. And feeling that panic, that anxiety. They're experiencing that inability to control and to understand what's happening. And so they go from, the, from fear of the storm to fear of Jesus. But even that's not going to last a really long time. But the reality is, is that when they're in the boat and the storm is going out, they can't see how Jesus could help. Yes, Lord, save us. But what would they expect? What would they think he would do? Because when he stops the storm... Their reaction is basically to say, well, I didn't think about that one. I didn't know you had that kind of power. And so they just keep going. And I think it's here that we begin to to recognize that their faith is kind of theoretical, religious. You know, it's like many things that people believe that can be presented as a, as a creedalized type of a statement, as an intellectual type of exercise. But it's not practical or personal. I mean, think about it. If faith is only a set of doctrines that we have in our head, how does that translate into our lives? How does that affect the way we live? Yes, there are things that we need to know and that we need to believe, and we'll touch on that in just a sec. But, but the reality is, is that there needs to be a personal, practical way for that to happen. 
Faith is not a doctrinal belief system. There's an underlying trust in God. And from that trust, we get peace and security based on God, not on us. In, in a sense, you know, we, when we talk about faith, we often like to quote the passage, you know, faith comes from hearing, hearing from the Word of God, you know. And we, we see that faith begins and is rooted with our knowledge of God's Word. Yes. But there's an element of faith that's learned, isn't it? I like the psalm that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, that there's an experience of faith that comes to us. Because as we experience living with God, we learn to rely on Him and trust Him more. And so our learning, Romans, you know, that passage of Romans, um, increases that and builds that, doesn't it? But as we come to God's Word, and see, one of the important things we do as we learn God's Word is we see the stories like this one of God's people and how God acted in their lives. And we learn about God, which gives us more courage to live with God in the face of difficulty and challenge. You know, our challenge, our problem is the storms will always come. I don't know anybody that doesn't live in the face of storms. Do you? I know that there are people that have tried to tell me that they don't have ever, ever have a problem in their life. A number of years ago, I, I knew I met a man that was, was telling me that if you had real faith, you'd never get sick. Okay. Would it surprise you to find or to learn that I found his name a couple of years later in the obituary of the paper that he died of cancer? Because he'd been telling me how, because of his faith, he'd never been sick. We are always going to have storms. You know, and, and we can be like the apostles. We're, we're always trying to, always cowering in the face of the storms. And living in fear and anxiety and dread and terror. Or we can live in faith. That's the only alternative that I know of. To fear, anxiety and fear. Think about it. How could Jesus sleep in a boat that's going down? And don't say because he's oblivious. It's because he trusts God. He knows his father. 
And so he shows us we need to focus on God, not the storm. So I won't go into it, but Peter walking on the water, you know, middle of the night, same lake. Jesus walking across the water. Peter says, if it's you, tell me to walk out to you. And Peter jumps out, starts to walk to Jesus. And what happens? He puts his eye off Jesus and onto the storm. We need to focus on God. I want to end with what I think is one of the great passages. Romans 8.28. Because this passage has often been read by people to, to assume that God will never let anything happen to us. And that's not what he's saying. What Paul says here is, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But even when the storms hit, God's working for our good. That we can have faith in the face of the storm. As I've been working on this lesson, I've got to confess that there is a, well, I confess, I've got to admit, that there's a song that the kids do often in vacation to Bible school, and I'm certainly not going to do it here. Some of you may already be thinking, but, you know, if Je- with Jesus in the boat, I can smile at the storm. That sounds a little scary, doesn't it? But in the face of the storms of our lives, we can have confidence and faith and trust. If you're here not yet a Christian, Jesus makes a great offer to us. His life for ours. And if we can share with you about that, we encourage you to talk with us. Talk with me, with John, Gary, uh, Chad, after we're through. Let's stand as we sing. A God concealed from human sight, He filled His course with only you.